0: want to remind everyone today that anything that we say today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, objectives are different. Please consult an investment advice. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, the uh, episode number two. I'm here with uh, the three amigos, Richard Diaz, Uh, Richard is the founder of Acorn, a boutique macro research house that specializes in helping family offices, high net worth individuals, small institutions with asset allocation and portfolio construction. And to my right, our favorite boomer, Keith Dicker with IceCap Asset Management, the founder who's been managing money uh, professionally for over 30 years. Welcome back to the show, gents.
1: Hey guys, it's going to be another great week. How you doing guys?
0: Yeah, we got some pretty good feedback from episode one here. So hopefully we'll keep shaking off the rust for episode two. Uh, but I wanted to sort of peel things open here first and foremost with obviously the, the hot button topic of the week. Uh, you know, Canada's CPI inflation ripping in at 4.4% on a year over year basis. It's the highest uh, pace of growth or the pace of acceleration in 18 years uh, so obviously Canadians are feeling the pinch uh, under, you know, higher inflation. Everyone's talking about it. And of course, you know, to coincide with that, now everybody's saying, well, hey, you know, the Bank of Canada's mandates 2% inflation. So uh, we've got Scotia Bank now coming out with a forecast, which I ridiculed on Twitter. Uh, the Scotiabank's chief economist, God bless his heart, I'm sure he's a nice man, uh, coming out and saying that Bank of Canada will raise rates eight times by the end of 2023. So, of course, everybody's panicking and telling, you know, sell the farm because asset markets are going to come tumbling down eight times. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Personally, I think it's a bit of a joke, but I'll let you guys chime in.
1: You go for it, Keith. You've got a house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, first of all, I think you're referring to, uh, as Jerry Colt, that leads the group, Scotiabank. Uh, I I quite like those guys. I, I have a connection with them. And, um, and one thing I like about them, they, their calls they're making on the economy and you know monetary policy, they're not acting like the traditional bank. So I appreciate it, you know? Um, and of course, in, in this world, in this business, it's okay to disagree. Maybe not so much these days, but I, th- I think it is uh, in this sense. Uh, so let's just jump a little bit in, into you know what eighth rate hikes means. Um, We can look at it from a Canadian perspective, but of course, you know, we're we're global all the time. So you just cannot have Canada operating in in isolation as an island and and on its own. Um, So I think the way to look at this, the only way the Bank of Canada can get eight rate hikes in by 23 is if the Fed is also doing rate hikes, the ECB doing the ECB, the BOE, (laughs) that's... Boe, you know, you name it, you know, the 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 BO,
0: oh, the bo, you're gonna throw the boj in there too? Bank, no, that's Bank of Japan to. for any of us. Our- and
1: but the point though is that we, we this, it really is a coordinated effort right now with with the central banks. So you know they coordinated all their cuts, all their QE, and and other forms of stimulus back in when 2020 got kicked off with the pandemic, and they're all trying to do the same thing again here now um so let's so i'll let rich comment and then i'll I'll come back so i have some you know deep thoughts here on why they will not be successful and where they can be successful i I think the fed has an opportunity to tame inflation in a different way that's not even being discussed uh but there's a lot of political maneuvers happening in, in the you know the deep state of dc these days so uh you know that's that's what's happening but what are your first thoughts there rich
2: Well, I think let's just, I think maybe for some of us listeners who may or may not know what we're talking about. So like the Bank of Canada, the BOC has a main policy rate. It's called the overnight target rate. It's 0.25 right now. And when Keith and Steve say they're raising rates eight times, we assume, although this is not always the case, that they raise by 25 basis points. In the past, they've raised by much, much more. Um, it's not usually less. Um, and the reason I think that, you know, credit to this guy for taking, you know, standing out on that limb, but to raise rates by eight times 25, 200 basis points over the next two years. Um, number one, given where we are with supply chains, as the number one, I think what people blame for a lot of inflation, um, I just think is, is absurd. Um, you know, like to, uh, that's just the I think what he's trying to do, I think Steve alluded to this, is help the Bank of Canada sort of jawbone, um, help with the messaging in the sense that, you know, people should be skeptical about taking on variable rate mortgages. Hopefully Steve will touch on that later and kind of caution people that interest rates rises are possible.
0: Right. Cause I, that was kind of my, my, my thing was like, is this guy just basically trying to do the bank of Canada's work, which is, yeah, you know, forward guidance. Drive. I think someone made the joke on Twitter, right? It's like talking about rate hikes are the new rate hikes. Like, listen, guys, we're going to start tapering and, and hiking interest rates. And like, well, they said they're going to do it. So I should be cautious about taking on, you know, a million dollar mortgage. Maybe I only take on nine fifty now. Like, that's kind of like the premise, right? So I was wondering, is like, is Bank doing Tiff Macklem's job?
2: Well, I just want to like add something. I think I'm real. I actually just caught myself. I think I'm being contradictory, you know, for anyone who's been paying attention to me for as long as for the last two years has been basically arguing that real interest rates shouldn't be so low. And then when a guy like that comes out and says they're going to raise rates 200 basis points, I'm saying, oh, that's BS. It's just... I just don't think there's the political will. I think that that's the fundamentally, if you ask me, Richard, what do I think should happen? I'd say, yeah, I think they should raise interest rates in line with the fact that we're now close to full employment, um, 19.3 million people, pre-pandemic peak in employment. Inflation is high, I don't think it's transitory. In um, real rates or 50 year lows, they should be raising interest rates. My beef with that comment, my beef with Tiff Macklin, is I just don't think they have the guts to it. You know. And the guts to do it. Excuse me. So, so
1: just to, yeah, just to add to that, you know, it's funny, Steve. There a few a few minutes ago, you we were chatting about funny getting Scotia Bank to do their the Bank of Canada's talking. Uh, that, that I don't think that's really happening. It was back to the whole moral suasion, you know, term that we introduced last week in the, the first episode of the Loony Hour. I like that plug. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked. Um, so my, you know, one criticism with, with, the, with not only the Canadian banks, but also the American banks, everyone else, all of their economic uh, forecast, uh, what they expect might happen with, with different ranges. You no, know, nothing's a certainty. Uh, my, my criticism with them is that they never allow for a, a stressful economic event or a monetary or financial <laughs> event to occur. So, in, in their mind, they're saying, hey, you know, we, we, we cut rates a lot. We're doing QE. Growth is taking off. Inflation is picking up. New rates are going up. Uh, you know, of course they're going to raise rates. And you look at this, you know, how much can they raise them by? You know, they're coming up with that, with that number. So, 200 basis points, basically. Um, my thought is that there's no way central banks are going to be able to increase eight times or by 200 basis points over the next what, 18, 24 months. Uh, there's a very low probability of that happening without causing a, a crisis or a stressful event of some kind. So that's what we have there. And just to give you an, an idea, for example, uh, you know, I, I talk quite a bit about, um, you know, we're all capitalists here. And the, the big thing with capitalism, you get price discovery. So whether it's, it's the housing market, equity markets, your groceries, well, not, maybe not groceries, but you know, cars, you know, it's bid bid versus offer, you, you settle on the price. Central banks around the world, they've suppressed price discovery in the treasury and federal government bond market, another extension of the bond market now for really over the last 12 years. But especially over the last, uh, what, 16, 18 months now, You know, since March of, of 2020. So if they're saying, if everyone's just sort of using the 10 year in the US for Canada to say, hey, inflation's coming back or it's not coming back. You know, the central banks have the ability to continue to suppress price discovery in that market. And they're gonna say like, again, I don't think they're gonna be able to raise rates but they have a process to go through. But if they continue to let inflation run hot, that they're not able to raise rates, especially if there's a change to the Fed, which I think could happen next year. Uh, Inflation will then be reflected in other financial markets. So in the other financial market world, and this is where a lot of Canadians need to sort of have a good think about here, is that if it's not going to happen at the federal government or provincial bond market level, it moves over to credit spreads in corporate debt. And it's also going to move over to everyone's next favorite bond proxy, which is preferred share market. So everyone in Canada who has some form of a balanced fund or anyone, and, and this is really, it's really interesting for everyone to think about here, anyone who is in a defined contribution pension plan with their employer at work. Uh, so that means you put in, say, 1% of your salary every payday and you know, the company matches it. It goes to one of the insurance companies and you know, you're, you're automatically default what's called a, a target date fund. And what that means, you put in your, you know, your age and say, well, you're gonna retire at 65. Based on that formula, you should have 40% in the bond market or 70% or, or 20%. There's a lot of money going into the bond market by default right now. And people don't realize that they're investing in what we would call, it's called an asymmetrical risk return opportunity. So normally you have your distribution curve, you know, it, it's symmetrical, you, know, you take your, your bet on each side. Asymmetrical means your upside is this and your downside is that, or you can flip it over on the other side. Right now, the majority of Canadians in any kind of a balanced fund or one of these target date funds, they're stuck in this asymmetrical risk return uh, exposure. So maybe anywhere from 25 to 50% of the portfolio is stuck in a market that's primed to be uh, reflecting inflation into the system. So that, that's just something people need to think. Of. That's what we think about as investment managers all the time. People just don't understand and appreciate the risk in the market. So I know a lot of people talk about inflation right now and say, hey, everything's going through the roof, inflation, inflation. Some people are excited by it. If they don't realize that maybe they or their mom and dad or their sibling or their best friend is completely stuffed with the biggest exposure in the financial markets, it's playing out. It, it all, it's, Everything is tied together.
0: Is that is that not though? Like, I mean, I feel like everybody is directly or indirectly involved in these asset markets, right? Like, I almost think like, are these you know cent- central bank policy more or less? They they won't say this, but more or less they are. They basically target asset prices, like. Do like so? I've heard the the counter argument that you know, asset prices move the economy, the economy doesn't move asset prices.
2: Oh, I don't know if I would take it, it's a little
0: counterintuitive.
2: I mean, I think, I think so. There's two things that I like. Keith's point about how people are just not basically realizing they're going to have negative real returns on their bond portfolio or bond proxies for a long, long time, I think is like an important part. And we should probably pin that as far as like the economy being completely detached from asset prices. I think in some cases, maybe real estate, but it's directly related to bonds and, and spreads on mortgages. Sure. But if you plot, for example, the S and P 500 earnings over the last like 60 or 70 or eighty or hundred years relative to, the price and how that that's moved over a very, very long time. Yes, there are dislocations, 2000, uh, uh, 2000 is one very severe dislocation, but on the whole, th- that price, it, it hugs pretty tight. That's, that's the research that I've sort of, in my, that's my view. I know that there's people you know out there who are very, very smart who might disagree with me, but I, 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 this idea that you just dislocate in perpetuity, I, I don't think that that's borne out by the
1: evidence.
0: That's why we have you on the show.
1: <laughs> but the challenge though i mean to add to that is you know you can go back 100 years 80 years or i've seen charts for rates going back like 4500 years even things like that nature you know it, it's the here and now and we all have yeah. you know a, a finite time horizon you know we'll we were born and we die and in between you know we, we buy bonds basically without knowing it uh but Again, when when we look at this, we are at this period now where we have zero rates, zero nominal rates. We have QE. You know, we have these enormous deficits coming through, and it's not just Canada. You know, it's, it's not just the French, the Italians, the Japanese, and, and so forth. So I, th- you know, my perspective is that trying to deviate away. For, just say you go back in the nineties. You know, when the Fed raised rates aggressively in ninety four. Um, You know, they weren't coming from zero. You know, they were starting at a much higher level. And every other point in time, they're never at zero. The fact that we're at zero now, they're they're literally stuck there. They're they're stuck. They don't know what to do. So let's, I know we're shifting over sort of the, you know, to the US, to the Fed all the time. Remember, they are the world's central bank. Something to to consider here. Um, You know, everyone's, you know, there's lots of evidence out there right now, especially in Fed speak. Yeah, they're going to turn hawkish. You know, they're going to start. You know, reducing QE. And then logically, the next step after that is, is to raise rates. Every single time the Fed has started to raise rates, it creates the, the, you know, that moment in emerging markets. So you go back to 94. So the Fed started raising rates aggressively overnight. You know, Mexico went into the crisis. You go, then you go to 97 and 98, when the Fed were raising rates, You know, all of a sudden you had the Asian crisis. You know, Russia went under and long-term capital management went under. Back in 2018 with the Fed, you know, they tried to get off ground zero, started raising rates. Emerging markets get, gets thumped again. I think everyone who's expecting that the Fed is going to start aggressively raising rates to, to counter inflation. Um, I, I think, I th- you know, they might be able to start it, but something is going to stop them very quickly. Now, there is another way for them to reduce inflation in the U.S., all they and, and this will just you know crush the world, of course. But they just have to let the dollar increase.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no big go, deal. Yeah, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So the keys, if, if they I? if they raise oh. rates, wait, this is important. We're talking about the dollar, the king dollar. <laughs> But if they if they allow the dollar to appreciate, all of a sudden, like very quickly, domestically in the U.S., you know, in, in inflation concerns, you know, they they start to become, you know, more muted. That's without raising rates, you know, without reducing QE and, and so forth. I'm just pointing out there there are a number of different things that can happen, but it's not really important what the, what the Bank of Canada does. You really have to watch the Fed here. Because they can knowingly or unknowingly, you know, really cause some big ripples out there around the world. Rich. Totally agree. Well,
2: I wanted to ask you a question because I was very young in 1994 and you must have been, I don't know, like 50 or so. But um, the I was just wondering, now I'm looking at like a Latin American countries and they've already started to raise rates a bit. Um, is that different than what it was back then? Or did you, did you, ha- back then, were they caught off guard? Did they lag? Because now it seems that they're leading.
1: Well, back then, I mean, so Mexico was a one off story, right? Oh,
2: so I know, but in general, yeah. like now you're seeing emerging but, markets already starting to pick up their interest rates.
1: Yeah, they're trying to do it because, again, like if, if Brazil starts to raise rates, you know, as they want to, of course, and, and any of the yeah, other they have. You know, EM, yeah, like Turkey cut this morning, you know, like, <laughs> <it's> just, <laughs> as, God's as, my, as God is as my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Um, but them operating on their own, like it, it doesn't move the needle. Like most people in New York this morning, they don't care what's happening in the emerging market yeah. world. You know they, they just don't do it but it's when the big boys do something that's it's all about confidence and capital flows so the moment foreign capital runs for cover or runs for safety like it doesn't matter what local rates are all of a sudden it just creates that stress on the system so um, you know again that's it's a very it's, it's probably one of the most conversations people are having over the last five years the whole inflation game because it's, it's come out of nowhere and, you know, my critique with it is that people are using, you know, average prices for their products and services, because that's the world we live in. But again, the, the central banks don't live in that world, you know, neither do financial markets. Because again, if they did, you know, the 10-year would be at 4%, 5 6%, gold will be up at 3,000, you know, oil will be at 250, and guys like, markets are not behaving like that. Like, if you really step back far and look at them, um, you know, there's, there's lots of... Lots of things to question that. Hey, things are maybe they're a little bit different than what everyone is talking about, except for us. So if you
0: if you have a uh, if you have a rate to, to circle this all back, I'm going to put you on the spot, and and Rich, you're next. Um, I want a, a forecast from you, Keith, on where I know it's trivial because the BOC basically is is the lapdog of the Fed. Um. Just what's your forecast for the BOC's overnight rate at the end of 22? And then I'll ask you again for the end of 23. I know you're oh, okay. you're basically throwing darts here blindfolded, but keep in, <laughs> keep in mind that uh, I know that you know the Canadian debt picture extremely well and obviously global markets, but uh, you wrote a good piece back in 2019, which came to fruition about provincial debt. Uh, so everybody gets all, you know, when I go on Twitter and engage with people and I'm saying, well, you know, this is kind of a joke list and they can't get their rate hikes in that they want. Everybody's so focused on Canadian households and how levered they are. Oh, well, you know, they, they, they took on too much debt. They bought too much house. They should be punished. And I always say the the, the, the last thing you're going to have to worry about is if they get eight rate hikes and the last thing you should be worried about is Canadian households. I think you, you, we got to start looking at, provincial governments the municipal governments and obviously you know the corporations in canada as well so um i'm sure we can get into that but i mean what are your thoughts on on sort of where the overnight rate
1: is and and all that yeah so straight to the point i I think they'll be lucky to get two rate hikes in and then they'll be stopped by some kind of crisis somewhere whether it's within canada or outside I, i think that's where that's how far they'll get. So, two. So rate that, that
0: means that that's put to you at 0.75, basically, which is the yeah. last rate height cycle we hit 175. So, so point, again, I just
1: don't think they're going to be able to go from a quarter up to 175. And everyone else around the world is, is doing it. And <laughs> zero. They don't want to. But they don't they want is. to. Yeah, I, I just don't see it happening.
2: Rich. And if there's no
1: accident, then they'll, they'll keep going with it. But it, again, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a realist. It, it's a lot of stress out there right now, guys. And
0: realist is, hey, the stock market corrects 25%. And that's politically not acceptable.
2: I'm of a different, like I'm going to, you know, Keith's a realist. I'm a cynic. Um, I, I just, I don't think that they want to raise rates. I think that the only way that any of this debt ever gets paid down, any of these liabilities ever gets paid down is to say that they don't get paid down is that you default slowly, but surely in real terms. And it's what we saw in 1946 to 1960 with finan- major financial oppression where you had inflation average, you know, five, six percent over like six or seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years, and you had long-term interest rates basically pinned to the one and a half, two percent, and you basically dilute and devalue those those obligations in real terms, and and the idea that they want to raise interest rates, I I, I find that that's where I disagree. I think that. It's not that they can, I just don't think that they want to. And frankly, I don't think that they necessarily should. I mean, that's, that's the other thing. It's like the, none of this debt's going to be paid back. And this is what Keith was kind of pointing out and sort of warning everybody about five minutes ago. He's saying, you know, everyone's just like sleepwalking with their balanced fund, piling into these debt instruments that offer minimal yield, have maximum downside. And, and I think part, there could be an acute downside event but I think more than likely, it's going to be, you know, death by a thousand cuts, you know, you, your yield will just simply not match the cost of living increases that you're seeing, whether it's in consumer goods, or in housing, or whatever you want. And so that's, I, I agree with Keith completely, it's that, that 50 basis points, you have inflation run at three or 4%, you have negative real interest rates, and you just carry on and, 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 you, and you tell people you don't want to raise interest rates, because you're afraid of screwing over the economy. But in reality, debt to GDP numbers, right, debt to GDP is a nominal figure, it starts to come off. And, you know, governments look like heroes, central banks look like heroes, and anyone who's holding those fixed income instruments are screwed. So, uh, well, wait, I, I, wait, I, Rich, I second. tend to agree,
0: but I know, Keith, Keith, I know that you hate the idea of financial repression. And oh, I hate it imagine. too. No, and Keith, I know you want to push back on that, because I've seen your your Twitter comments there. Uh, so, so take it away.
1: Oh, I wasn't pushing back at all. I was just going to comment that, uh, you know, we're we're now able to see what the Fed governors are uh, holding in their personal accounts. So uh, (laughs) I think that's a good one, Rich. Uh, But for Steve, you're the one on your side. Like, what are people talking? do, Do they talk about rates in the I guess they are obviously in the mortgage world, but where are they going? Are they going? long-term fixed or is everyone's going overnight? What, what do you see?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. So every, everyone right now is basically going um, variable rate mortgages. So I think uh, the stat here from my good buddy, Ben Rabideau, i give him a little plug with edge analytics. Um, 55% of new mortgage originations in Canada over the past year have been variable rate mortgages. So because the spread right now, right, is about hundred basis points. So you're looking at um, you know, a five-year fixed rate mortgage is about 2.2% and a variable right now is about 1.2. So people are like, well, it's hundred basis points. Like how many, I'm going to take that gamble. And so that's what people are doing now. I should, I should make a little caveat that, um, if you're boring on a variable rate mortgage at any of the big five Canadian banks, if the, if the bank of Canada increases rates, let's say 50 basis points. It doesn't mean that your payment increases, uh, your payment at, at these big banks actually stays the same. What happens is they start to, um, you'll pay off less of your principal and they'll, they'll, they'll increase the interest portion of your mortgage. So that's an important thing to distinguish because people say, Oh, see eight rate hikes, your payments are going to go boom. And, and, and it, that's not really how it works in Canada,
2: but any, anyways, I, I digress. I didn't know that. So thanks for actually pointing that out, Steve. I actually didn't know that at all. Yeah.
0: And it's, it's, it's important distinction because it's actually the mono lines, which is like, so if you go through just a traditional broker that doesn't work for the big banks and he goes to, he sources your, your, your mortgage from sort of an alternative outside of the the big banks, then that, then they actually don't have a fixed payment and the, and the payment will actually adjust with um, the bank of Canada. So that's, actually an important distinction. I think a lot of people don't, don't know that, but um, yeah, I mean, I think the big thing in Canadian real estate is, you know, particularly here where I'm in Vancouver, it's such a leveraged housing market, right? Just so much leverage that it's extremely sensitive to interest rate increases. Um, When a million, when a million dollar mortgage is normal, like a hundred basis point increase in the mortgage rate will start to alter the housing market
1: what are is the terms true? most people go i'm sorry rich uh steve go for it, go the for term it. yeah for the variable are they going three or five year term
0: uh, i usually see it. it's usually five year term
1: so five years from now then that's when they're making the the, the, the bet or the allocate ba-
0: basically, basically yeah which i mean it's kind of crappy in Canada and Canada, rich I know <laughs> in the uk too that they have like i think it's five year terms and boris has been coming out and saying he's going to try to make them what like 15 or 30 year terms. Um, cause that really is like the huge, I think that's the biggest vulnerability to the Canadian housing market. It's not like the U S where you lock in your rate for 30 years. Um, it's a five year, fixed. five year play, right? So yeah, whether you go five year fixed or you go five year variable, it's again, either way you're, you're, you're up in five years and it depends where the, where the markets are. So, I mean, we talk about, you know, kind of comes to our conversation here about, QE and, and rate suppression, yield curve control, like is so much banking on, on the bond market.
2: My question for you, just to sorry, give you a tiny insight in the UK, it's slightly different. So I own a flat in London and they, if they raise interest rates, I, I did a five-year fixed five years ago, which is coming actually up for renewal. Um, I'm going to just do a five-year fix again, this is not investment advice. This is purely cause I'm extremely conservative <laughs> given my family history. I just like refuse to take any kind of, um, any, any kind of risk, but, um, um, in that part of my portfolio, but what, what is interesting is that there's also interest rate only, uh, mortgages in the UK, which I think is kind of wild, which people was ex- were, were really extremely popular. Um, I just wanted to ask you, um, Steve, about the the Vancouver. You said the Vancouver real estate market is quite levered, but isn't there like loads of just cash that gets pushed in? So, like, it, it, can you just like give some color on that? Because I, I don't sort of buy yeah. that it's levered. Isn't it just people with briefcases at the bank at the casino, BC casino and like?
0: I mean, yeah, it's definitely like when you when you really like play in the market, like myself, day to day, and you you know, you're actively doing deals and whatnot. It's, it's definitely, a, it definitely is a global market, right? Like people are genuinely bringing loads of cash from offshore, right? Whether they're American or they're, you know, from China or whatever, like the reality is, or if they're in, you know, they're Canadian citizens, but they earn a global income in Hong Kong that like favorable tax rates, like, yes, they make a lot of money offshore And they bring it here and they park it here and it's really i look at i think that the they view it more as like it's a store of value like that's how they perceive it and so what happens is you have these local workers like you know your firefighters and police officers that are obviously need to put roofs over their head and so they have to kind of compete with like this global wall of capital it just kind of comes into the market but and that's why like these foreign buyer taxes that we put in like they don't actually work because most of the capital that comes to buy is they're already Canadian citizens or they're permanent residents because it's pretty, it's relatively easy to get, you know, some form of citizenship or, or residency status here. So it doesn't really quantify the funds.
2: You mean their policy uh, sounds great on paper, but actually doesn't work?
0: Yeah, shock, exactly. It's the same thing, right? Make it look like you're doing something without, you know, upsetting the apple cart, which is pretty much what the central banks do right talk about talk about raising rates but you can't actually raise them because you got too much debt Keith what do you think
1: well I mean I think everyone's familiar with the whole debt, you know debt story and interest rate dilemma that we have going on here so um yeah again like you know what my market guy and you always look at Nothing ever is going, you, you don't, we don't have this binary relationship. So if, if inflation is going high in Canada and they raise rates, it's going to have effects elsewhere. So in the banking sector and the real estate sector, and as well as the fixed income market, don't preferred shares and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden it becomes more difficult, you know, for any of these resource companies to raise capital. And again, everything it sort of goes in this cycle. Uh, but we'll have to see. You know who's who's the first central bank here to, of the major central banks. You know to uh, sort of crack the nut first and take the first go at it. But everyone again, like they speak with each other every day. Uh, they don't necessarily take orders from the Americans, but you know everyone is is on board on, you know how they're going to build this, you know, back better. Yeah. So, so 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 rich,
0: rich <laughs> talked about uh, just to maybe get towards the the bitter end of the show here, but. Rich talked about sort of, you know, and I think this is somewhat the theme of the show, but you know, an era of financial repression, right. Where essentially inflation runs maybe a little bit hotter than, than normal, but you know, interest rates essentially can't normalize under the weight of the debt. And so, you know, real rates are negative for, you know, a prolonged period of time. Um, Keith, I mean, as a portfolio manager. So the average Canadian's probably going, "Oh man, listen to the show. Going, this sounds terrible." <laughs> uh,
2: not the show, not the show. Yeah. The, outlook. <laughs> the
0: show sounds sounds <laughs> terrible, and this sounds even worse. Um, how do you how do you manage funds in that sort of environment? Uh, like, what what do you say to the the average Canadian here that you know is trying to preserve? their portfolio or their retirement, right? Cause I think that's the big thing, right? You just, I think the majority of people, they just want to watch football on Sunday. They don't want to think about financial housing, financial markets, and they just give it to their pension fund, or they just give it to, you know, some broker at the bank that they've never met and set it and forget it. Just do what you things And, and you, as you highlighted early in the show, there's obviously risks, unknown risks uh, in, in that so how, how, do you, how do you look at that?
1: Well, what, what's really great though, uh, again, I think financial markets are set up perfectly. You know, you, it, What I mean by that is if you're aware where the risks are and where they lie, it gives you an opportunity to either make money from that event or to preserve your capital from that event. The worst thing in the world is waking up in the morning and your portfolio has done this or that and you're like, what the heck just happened? And then you call up some money and they're like, I don't know what happened. You you know, it goes like that. Uh, So one thing with with IceCap, I mean, we've been talking and and singing about this now for a while. That's what we do. We're global macro. We're worried about downside risk, and we manage around that. So, uh, you know, a very high portion of IceCap clients, they're all engaged. So they they can sit on this conversation, and they can easily follow along. They contribute as well. So with, with our clients, when you have a relationship like that with your client, it, it, it's really good because you're all on the same page. You're trying to avoid where the major risks are at the same time, you're preparing for opportunities on, on the other side of it. So, I mean, I think these days with the creation, of a lot of different, uh, dif- different kind of funds that are available, you're able to move away from that traditional, you know, balance fund mandate. So for us, we include currencies in our portfolios, uh, exposure to commodities, precious metals, as well as volatility. Some great new products are coming out now to really capture exposure to convexity, if, if you're into that world. or not? Yeah. Do you
0: want to explain that, like going long volatility? Because I think there's probably a decent chunk of the audience here that doesn't necessarily understand that.
1: Yeah. So you have opportunities to go long. I mean, depending on how you know, how sophisticated you are as an investor, but, you know, we just put out a piece last week called.
0: Um, it was a good piece.
1: I, yeah, it was, it you was, it was, outstanding. it was really good. So uh, the whole piece though, you know, it, it had a play on John McEnroe with, with tennis, you know, he had, you know, he had tantrums and uh, then John Daly, the golfer, you know, he took that world by storm. And then after they left, you know, there's, there's a lot of complacency. then you keep going along until, hey, it it happens again. So what we share with uh, investors in that piece was that, you know what? There's complacency right now in equity markets, in treasury markets, credit markets, gold markets, copper, oil, and then almost every single FX cross rate you can look at. So there's complacency everywhere, which means... So complacency or low volatility remain like that for a long time and then it goes up, then it comes down again. So you get these long periods with complacency and then a short blast was really risk happening. And very few people are available for, they're not prepared for when the risk happens. So what we're highlighting is that, hey guys, the world is set up now perfect when you overlay it with this inflation discussion, monetary policy discussion, fiscal policy, all that stuff something is going to snap here and there are ways that you can maneuver your portfolio to to at least be prepared to absorb a lot of it and then you do some stress test on it to determine hey what what do we need to do here but but again uh, you know as for as awkward as the global financial system is right now you shouldn't be afraid of it you should you know you should be excited by it to say hey we can't stop this but you know there are ways to either make a ton of money or Better yet, you know, wake. So, for example, I remember last March, March of 2020, people were waking up and the investment were like they were down 30, 40, 50% and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we did not have that experience at all. And then when you're chatting with a client, it's, hey, like this, this is good because investors are not individual investors. We are not pension funds. So, we don't have this 80, 100 or 150 year time horizon. No, no, everyone mostly has a 10, 20, 30 year time horizon. So trying to recover from a drawdown, you know, it it can be stressful for the older person and not stressful at all for the younger person. Right. So you go all into crypto and and stuff like that, you know. So, uh, again, it's really understanding how we're put together and, you know, understanding the, the complacency that's out there.
2: Um, can um, I give my two cents on that? Because at, at Acorn, we deal with uh, high net worth individuals. One of my clients is a family office. They do have a 50, 100 year time horizon, and so for me, it's kind of fun because, like, you know, you, you obviously have to manage to benchmark. You have to help our clients, um, basically, you know, avoid these mistakes. But also, I mean, for me, something like a, you know, um, financial repression, higher inflation for longer, negative real interest rates, is a key. Portion or key chunk of our thesis and helps us in sort of invest um, and determine sort of how to avoid those risks. You know, one of our one of my clients has you know eighty percent um, exposure to um, to equities and just is is under no impression that he'll ever get paid back in real terms from the bond. He's also very aware, like Keith, that there's a drawdown and um, that's coming probably and, and but he's in a position to sort of weather that and he's sort of using that as he will probably use that as an opportunity you know to to to, to put more chips on the table um and and positioned as such um I, I, i'm a market guy too i think why probably all get along is i, I think it's it's beautiful it's the hive mind isn't it it's just a million people making decisions um all expressing their view and, you know, in, in a way, the market's sometimes wrong, but the market's almost always right. And it's just a, dist- a distillation of that, like the human capacity, the productivity, um, the opinions of everyone all sort of fighting and getting along, you know, and, and sort of settling things nonviolently, um, and spit out on a chart. I, I don't know. I find it so beautiful. And it's, it's just so much fun to talk to you guys about it.
0: So now we just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. <laughs> 66,000, Keith.
1: <laughs> I'll sell you an I'll NFT, see, yeah.
0: Keith.
2: It'll be a picture of me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't quite get that. But you know, like real quick on, on on Bitcoin, like you know, we understand it, but we're not fully in or fully not committed to that sector. Incredibly interesting. Uh, the, you know, the one comment that, that we'll make, and I know, you, oh my God, like if you talk anything ill about crypto, you know, you get attacked.
0: We're going to lose some one, viewers here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like we're not anti or pro Bitcoin. We, we acknowledge, you know, what, what it is, or a crypto, I should say, not just labeling it Bitcoin. But, you know, the whole story that, hey, it, it protects you against inflation, like that's a giant, you get a look at that a bit odd. It, it hasn't been around long enough right. to, exactly. to experience any inflation so that you know, that's just one comment uh, about it but like uh, one thing that's really great though about about the crypto market uh, so far it it so it, it again like in the you uh, know in investment nerd world it, it does have a low correlation to everything else so uh, if anyone has a uh, an allocation to it and it's you know they're controlling their exposure to it um, yeah it, it could be a really good way to offset you know volatility or, or losses in another part of the portfolio so again like you said earlier Rich like take everything for for as it is you know don't be uh, emotional about it and you know remain objective so again that's why it's a great market out there right now
2: I know we're wrapping up, but I just want to can I say something on Bitcoin and it's nothing to do with the actual Bitcoin or whatever. I just think I'll just remind everyone in general, when you look at industries and I would consider blockchain and Bitcoin, a new budding industry, tech, tech in the 2000s, like airlines in the early fifties and sixties, automobile industries in the 10, 20, 30s, you know, there was a lot of um, like the internal combustion engine lasted forever and will hopefully last forever planes still very useful the internet clearly useful but the companies that pioneered those initial in technologies industries that were the leaders on day 1 were very 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 rarely the leaders 10 15 20 50 years later and so that's so although you know people say well do you think bitcoin is here to stay i'm like nah, man i'm agnostic you know i don't really know i think What's, in my view, more interesting maybe is the i that concept the the blockchain the technology that makes something like Bitcoin possible, is to me the more fascinating thing. In the same way that you know, 120 years ago when the Ford Model T, sure, but there's literally dozens and dozens and dozens of automobile um, manufacturers in the in the tens and the twenties that you will have never heard of. Um, the car persists so that would would be the last thing i want to say on that
0: yeah i think that's a that's a good way to wrap it up because i think yeah you touched on it i see that like with like ethereum and then now you've got like solana cardano it's like okay well which which one's going to be the winner here but uh anyways we, we digress so uh that's about it that's all we got for this week's show thanks for tuning in we'll see you guys next week
2: cheers